Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists who have been so busy we've missed the last two usual weeks of doing podcasts. But we're back at it and we've got a lot to talk about. And we're going to make up for it this week because we have a double whammy, uh, not just in terms of what we're talking about, uh, also because we're going to do two podcasts this week. So one to start the week and one to finish the week. I love that. That's twice the usual, Ben and Sammy. And that's just how much we have to talk about. So uh, it's not filler. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not just going to be reading pages out of the dictionary. It's not a clip show, is it? It's not a clip. Remember back in April when Sammy said this? (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll consider that. We'll consider having a yearly best of the unnamed automotive podcast. I want to I wanna do a, uh, a clip show where I just cut the vowels out of everything you say and I string together 10 minutes of vowel sounds. I would like, it to, I would like a clip show where all we do is talk about uh, Volvo, which is what we seem to be doing constantly. Well, or... you're, in, you're in luck, Sammy, because very soon we'll be talking about Volvo. Not this not this podcast, but the, the following podcast for all Volvo fans. You can tune out now and tune in later <laughs> or laughing at volkswagen auto group things i think that would also be a good a good um clip show but today we're not talking about either of those subjects we are talking about three other <clears throat> distinct subjects with a few things sprinkled in and sammy do you want to kick things off sure i'll talk about what i did last uh week which was um i attended the pebble beach or monterey car week uh festivities now for people who are not in the know for pebble beach or monterey car week essentially there's this giant gathering no let's say celebration of luxury cars classic cars and exotics um and um automakers have really started flocking and supporting this this event um which i think originally started off as a concourse um a i think the best way to say it is it was a a concourse you know like a rating of of classic cars well i think i think it started off because they they used to have races in pebble beach and right. I There's believe the, they the were associated. Yeah. yeah, they were associated together. They raced on. They actually raced uh, on the beach, partly and using local roads. I think it was like a combination course. Uh, and they also used to do a lot of auctions there, so there's there's this element added to it. But now it's become a bit of a car show, an outdoor car show. A bit is, of a car uh, show, Sammy. It's, it's a huge car show. It's insane how much goes on. Um, at this show, I mean, I, to put it in perspective, at some of the real car shows, not not real, some of the auto shows that we go and we cover, like Detroit, like New York, like Chicago or L.A., um, some of my, my colleagues will actually have issues trying to pick out their top 10 cars because there just isn't enough 10, there isn't 10 good cars to talk about. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of refreshes, there's a couple of weird concepts, and that's it. You're just like, I don't know. I don't know what the, how to fill this time. But at Pebble Beach, I managed to fill – not only did I did I manage to do a top ten, but I also like – I felt like I missed some things that I should have I should have included in there. Um, it's just full of all these crazy, bizarre one-offs. There's these commissioned vehicles that you'll never see ever again, like this pink McLaren um, – I think it was a 720. Isn't that bizarre? Just like this is it. This is the, what we brought. Some guy – some customer picked this. And uh, we made it for them. We we did the stitching this way. We did the paint this way. And uh, here now you can take a look at it before he delivers it, um, or before we deliver it. It's it's full of all kinds of bizarre ideas. And and the people there are a mix of like snobby rich people and then ultra ultra car enthusiasts who go who get giddy at the at the weirdest stuff like Citroen two CVs and weird like just bizarre things. Um, I think the highlight of the show, though, for me was a concept car that Infinity brought out. It's called the Prototype 9. It looks like a pre-war race car, which means it has like this exposed um, wheels and uh, exposed axles and um, and suspension. Um, and it's really slick looking. It has like even like riveted bodywork uh, and not like that tacky uh, rocket bunny way that <laughs> I think that a lot of automakers, I mean automakers, uh, customized shops are doing. Uh, and also packs what some people have speculated as the next Nissan Leaf powertrain inside of it, um, which means it's an electric powertrain inside this really neat-looking pre-war race car. Um, so it's a it's a mix of old and new. Now, do you think that um, do you think that people are going to Pebble Beach? So you know, it's interesting that a lot of what you focused on just now when you were talking is the new stuff. 
the right. the um, concept lawn, the the hype from manufacturers. But really, that's something that's rather recent at Pebble Beach. That's I think 100% in the, sure, you're in, right. In the last decade, that's really become the, the, the era of the OEM involvement in this event, whereas previously it was almost entirely dedicated to older vehicles. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is um, if you look at how the progression of vehicles that have won Best of Show or whatever that – I don't know the exact title is for, for that particular honor at Pebble Beach, but it's been getting progressively older. A, a couple of years ago, I believe, a Ferrari from the 50s won. It might have mm-hmm. been two years ago. And there was a huge kerfuffle about it because people were like, oh, wow, it's, is, is this really – you know, is this a vehicle that can we can somehow – uh, claim is the best vehicle on the lawn when we have all of these incredibly historic vehicles. It's so new. And it, it's interesting because if you look at the origins of the concourse, I believe it started in the 50s. And at that time, the cars that were winning the best in show were contemporary cars for <laughs> yeah, a number of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then it started to go backwards. It was like a clock that went backwards. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> been an interesting trend. Um, and now we have this trend of new cars being present and uh, not just being present, but al- almost taking some of the spotlight away from what people have traditionally associated with the event. The car that actually won this year's car of show um, was a 1929 Mercedes-Benz, um, and it is—it's a stunner. It really is uh, a, fant- a fantastic looking car, and I love—I honestly, I love the the whole event. It's my one of my favorites. Um, it's what I look forward to almost every year. A lot of people ask me why I like it. It's because it's just. It's just different. It's full of almost like it reminds me of what automotive enthusiasm can really lead to. And there's all these people who have now granted they have almost like an unlimited pocket full of money or a bottomless pocket full of money to restore these vehicles. But the in-depth knowledge that some people have on the cars that they've restored and how proud they are to bring them out to this lawn and get them judged um, is is pretty impressive. Um, In addition to that, the cars you see on the road in Pebble Beach, uh, during Pebble Beach, are, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's actually mind-boggling. Um, there's LaFerraris. Uh, I saw at least uh, maybe half a dozen LaFerraris on the road. And that's a car that's not only just a million, I think a million and a half dollars, it's limited to 399 units. And people can't just go to a, a Ferrari and buy one. They have to have previous Ferraris. They have to meet some sort of ridiculous criteria that Ferrari dictates then, until they can they can purchase this vehicle. Here they are, six of them, on the road doing their thing. What I find most, you know, I also enjoy seeing the the cars that on the road um, at Pebble Beach in in and around Monterey. But for me, it's more seeing the older cars actually being driven and used as intended. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just it's rare that you see a lot of these vehicles anywhere outside of a static display. And I realize the lawn at Pebble Beach is a static display, um, but there's a lot going on that week and weekend in the area like you have the historic racing at, at Laguna Seca and you you just have a lot of owners bringing out cars you would never see on the road and putting them yeah. on the road and not not just not just brand new prototypes but just old old cars some of them with racing heritage some of them not just in motion which is which is how they were intended to be seen and how they were intended to be enjoyed and i think that there's an almost an entire generation of cars that has been erased from the road because of how valuable they are or mm-hmm. because of the the attitudes of their owners Mm-hmm. not wanting to drive them and so there's an, a, a likewise there's a generation of car enthusiasts who've never seen these vehicles under their own power and that's honestly what makes the the whole week of events it really is the coolest thing to see like i know it's not old in the way that you describe it but like that ferrari eb um what is it 111 i think it's called which is a, i mean not ferrari sorry bugatti eb 111 yeah um that's a car that I don't know anyone would ever see other than being on the internet. And yet there it was driving. I found, I found it to be more eye-catching than the, the, the Bugatti Chiron following it. I was like, that's insane. That, how can that be like here? I'm sure somebody should have stashed that up and sealed it up and said, um, and, and said that, um, that's a collector's item. That's going to be worth a bajillion dollars in the future. And they didn't. They, 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 Put it on the road there. I think that's amazing. You know, uh, it's uh, I that if if I could just go to Pebble Beach and just experience the 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 class the classic racing and the 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 atmosphere of the events, I think I would I would enjoy it more. Um, I'm not really into the the Sunday event, the actual <laughs> concourse mm-hmm. itself. Um, I understand though that there was 
you, you didn't just get to see strangers driving exotic cars. You also got to drive an exotic car yourself. Yeah, I was very lucky enough to to I don't know what I said or did or maybe they thought I was someone else. But um, the folks at Lamborghini put me inside of a an Aventador S and then fired it up and told me to that they'll see me back in a, in, in about an hour or two. Um, and it was pretty impressive. And just to clarify, Aventador S, that's, that's a Lamborghini, is that correct? That is a Lamborghini. Uh, it's, an, it's the replacement for the Aventador, which is their, kind of their, I guess their top-end vehicle. Um, well, the top-end non-one-off, I guess. Yes. Because it's the Performante and, and all sorts of crazy stuff and the, the rear, the Balbonis and all those unique semi-one-off vehicles they make. This is the big one. That's the best. That's the only way I can describe it. I mean, there's the, they have a two-model lineup, I think. It's the Huracan and the Aventador. Uh, the Huracan is meant to be the entry-level vehicle. I think it starts at around 200,000 um, US, and while this one is somewhere mid 400s, um, and that's a lot of money for a car. And I couldn't, like I said, I I couldn't imagine them giving me having a really good reason to put me in there, but they did, and I got a really, I had a really good time in it. Uh, we did a really fun video with it, um, and everywhere you go with this car, people like pay attention. They notice it. They they wave. They clap. They take photos. Uh, they want you to go fast. They want you to make noises with it, and it is more than accommodating in that fashion. Um, so, what, what did you find most? What, what impressed you the most about it? The livability was really good. The only complaint I, w I had with the car, uh, besides the usual supercar visibility, was the transmission is a little old school. It's one of those single clutch automated units, um, which can, when things aren't aren't lining up right they they can feel a little slow and clunky but then when it's, it's in motion it feels really quick and snappy but honestly the car felt it felt like an, a car that anybody could use it sounds that like first remember do you remember when you first read that the the dodge uh hellcats have 707 horsepower and you thought wow that's insane this thing has 740 and still felt relatively usable. I wasn't spinning tires. I wasn't screeching anything. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't tempted to do anything insane. Um, and I could still have some fun on the road without being afraid of the vehicle. But it, um, it also has all-wheel drive, right? That's right. And it is. And it, is it a 12-cylinder or a 10-cylinder? It's a 12-cylinder, 6.5-liter 12-cylinder engine, and it sounds unbelievable. It sounds so good. Um, I don't want to say it's the best-sounding car um, out there, but it did sound very distinct. Um, and it drove very well. I, I didn't expect it to, to have the personality of a, of a car like this. I thought it just, um, I mean, after driving the Huracan, the Huracan in many ways feels like an R8, which I think we'll get your, your thoughts on next, next week or next podcast. Maybe we uh, will. I've driven the old, the last generation R8, and I have driven the current um, Huracan, and I could see like I could feel like a lineage there. There's a lot of refinement in that Huracan, um, and it felt pretty good, but nothing out of this world. While the Aventador S just felt so much better in every single way. The responsiveness, the 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 spectacle that it causes, um, the sound, the the feeling inside the car is just it's off the hook. It's just perfect. It was so much fun, and um, and it was it was really fast as well um, not only fast going like fast acceleration it has fast deceleration and even in motion the way it can it can get going is fast uh, deceleration code for good brakes is that is that what you're saying excellent brakes uh i mean i think you need to have good brakes when you have something that eye-catching um and that loud and obnoxious and something that the cops are just dying to to give to, to hang a ticket on what was it like um, to park it was a little tough um there's some cameras, uh, really helpful cameras and sensors. Um, but the one thing that I think a lot of people are really nervous about is, scra is scraping the nose. This thing has a, a lift kit or whatever, uh, however you want to call it, a, a nose lift that raises the vehicle about three, almost three and a half inches, which is really significant when it comes to, to, to putting this, this, parking this car anywhere um, or putting it into a parking lot. Yeah, I believe the Huracan has the, the same system. I, I didn't I didn't think it was so big, but it really made it super helpful, um, and I, I thought it was great. I can't wait to drive anything like like that again. I don't know if I'll ever get it, so I always kind of cherish these moments, and I try not to get really um, 
there's some there's a way you can kind of get jaded when driving supercars. I don't know if you feel the same way. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, they're all the same. No, I have absolutely that. no idea what you're talking about. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's some people you... who think that, you know, they dr- oh, I've driven that already. It's, you know, it's not it's not good news. It is honestly, it is such an enjoyable moment. Um, and you understand, I think you, you begin to understand why somebody with that much money is willing to put it into a vehicle. Well, I mean, driving, driving cars like that is, is, it is an event. I feel mm-hmm. it's, it's cause it's, it's so out of the ordinary. Um, regardless of the fact that we do get to drive a lot of cool cars for our jobs, exotics aren't falling from the sky. And when they do end up in our laps, they often come with a lot of restrictions in mm-hmm. terms of where they can go, how far they can be driven, that kind of thing, how long you have have with them i mean i know you didn't have a lot of time at pebble beach with the vehicle and even if you were to have one of those vehicles as a home loan it's a similar story right you only have a similar uh, i mean a, a limited number of miles um and they'll probably tell you you can't you shouldn't take it to the track or anything like that well so definitely not i mean it's, first of all there's no insurance on the track <laughs> and you don't want to be responsible for that even driving something like a rolls royce around for me is nerve-wracking in traffic because I don't know what my insurance company would say if I was involved in an accident. I know that they'll they cover any vehicle I drive, but they're not necessarily aware that I'm driving a half million dollar car, and that's a conversation I hope I never have to have with my broker. <laughs> um, I don't know where else I don't know what else to say about this thing. I mean, if you are ever given the opportunity, I mean, do I have to do I have to second do I have to like second this opinion of if you I like second my own opinion of. If you are ever given the opportunity to drive a supercar, don't wuss out and say, oh, I'm, I'm nervous. It might not be for me or something like that. Is there anyone who does that? I, I wasn't aware anyone did that. I, I think somebody might. I think somebody might get intimidated by it um, or or might think that it's a lot of money to, to put on the road or, or a lot of responsibility. These cars are cars like everything else. Um, they're going to drive the same ways as, as or if you drive them, you know, logically um, and you get to get you get to know them before, you know, pushing them. They're going to drive predictably in a, in a way. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a supercar aficionado, but I don't think they're all friendly to drive. I think that I think there's definitely supercars out there that um, are twitchier, are are like oh, for they give sure. you full throttle with a with a with a tap of the things. They'll they'll lay down rubber. I don't know. I didn't get that feeling from the the Huracan, which is supposed. I mean, sorry, the Aventador, which is supposed to be. Um, a top of the line, you know, the 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 big deal, right? I just think these cars, things are more immediate. They brake quicker, they accelerate quicker, the steering is sharper. Uh, you have to be aware of the size of the car because they're often huge. They don't necessarily feel huge from inside the cockpit because inside the the passenger compartment is tiny, but the vehicle itself is long and wide, and mm-hmm. they're so low you have to pay attention everywhere you go. I I think that I don't think you can just drive them like a normal car. Um, for the most part. Again, something I'll talk about in the next podcast when we talk about uh, the Audi R8. Um, um, but I, I think, at least in my experience with, with Lamborghinis and McLarens and whatnot, it's it's definitely, you have to be aware of what's going on. Uh, and you also have to be aware of other people around you because yeah. there are going to be people who zoom up and try to take pictures of you driving. And that can happen on the highway. And when someone has a camera in their hand, they're not necessarily paying attention to where they're going. Mm-hmm. So you have to be extra aware of just your immediate environment. Um, it is, you're right about that. People are always zooming and doing strange things by, by like snapping photos of you while you're driving. And it's, it's, that's dangerous. That does, that does bring up a lot of, isn't that weird? The person inside the, 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 the supercar is less responsible than the person outside of it. I don't know. Um, you, you always see these cars and you always think, Oh, what would I do with that kind of, with that kind of car? Um, so what else can I tell you about this car? It really just, it, to me, it summed up the feeling of someone to be someone attending Mon- the Monterey car week. It is a car that is a spectacle to, to be seen to, and to be seen in. It makes great noises. It's really performance driven. Um, and it's, it's unique in its own way, which, which I found to be a really funny way. Like that's the way I described it. It's, it's really ironic. If you want to fit in at Pebble beach, you have to have a car that kind of stands out. Um, and I thought that was, that was a lot of fun, and I, I got to thank Lamborghini for giving me that opportunity and uh, and being cool about it as well. Um, so, in your personal pantheon of of supercars, where does this one fit? I mean, I've only driven so many. I mean, so it it ranks really highly because it's it's within that that subgenre of cars that I have driven and still enjoyed. You know, you're avoiding the question. Uh, that's tough. 
See, I've always there's so many other. So, do you mind if I if I run through a couple of cards that I really can't wait to to get my hands on? And but I think the, you know. Don't talk about the ones you have driven. <laughs> so I have driven. I've driven in the in that supercar realm. I've driven the the Aventador S. I've driven the Huracan uh, Spider. I've driven the R8 V10 Plus, and I've driven. I I think we can consider the Turbo the 911 Turbo S a supercar in a way. I guess so. It costs as much and it goes very fast. Um, will we call? Would you call the the GTR a supercar? No. But it's a supercar killer. Mm, I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know. I think GTR is kind of a kind of something apart from that. Okay. What about it's, it's, and then one last one last qualifier? The uh, the BMW i8. No, it's not a supercar. No. Really? No. It's not. I mean, it doesn't have the performance to be one. I okay, then I, I'll consider the top speed of that car something like 140 miles an hour. I guess so, but it's designed like a supercar. It has materials like like a supercar. And a DeLorean looks like a supercar too, but it doesn't have the performance to back it up. If it can go back in time, it's definitely a supercar. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, it's it's you know there are cars like the GTR. I think falls into the Corvette Z06 category, mm-hmm. where they have it, the performance is outstanding, but I don't think that they're um, they, I don't think they have the pedigree. To qualify as supercars, I don't know why I feel that way. When I think something like a, a a Viper might be higher on that list than a than a Corvette, because there's fewer of them. Or a GTR? No, I don't think no. I, I don't think a GTR qualifies as a supercar. It, it okay. just it doesn't have the pedigree. It's not. It's, what it's about a, an aerial atom? No, not at all. That's a that's a that's a purpose-built track car. Okay. I mean, we can then, start talking about Ultima GTRs and Noble M400s, and you know, it, it, you know, it's. Anyway, that, that's just my opinion. I don't get to decide what's a supercar and what isn't. But okay, in my cool. mind, that's that's how I've arranged the universe. Until I drive a McLaren, I think that this Aventador um, really sits atop. Uh, a McLaren or and a Pagani, this Aventador sits at the top of the the totem pole of the cars. Well, there that you go. That tripped. wasn't so hard to do. If you no, of to course do it. not. Because it, it honestly is quite – and honestly, the other cars that we talked – we mentioned, I mean, it, those, don't, those don't surpass these. This Are one, you – are you worried that like Mr. Pagani is listening right now and he just threw his headphones down in disgust and was like, ah, Sammy will never drive a Zonda. Oh, it's not even a Zonda I want to drive. It's the the Wyra. <laughs> well, you're not driving either of them now. I can't wait. You know what? One of my colleagues has driven the Wyra, and uh, although he was babysat through the whole thing, um, he did say it was pretty impressive. <laughs> I I honestly, supercars are another thing. It's it is so interesting. I mean, you can drive these things like like. Like at parking lot speeds, and people will still lose their their marbles around you. And that I don't know. I I think that's 100% part of the charm. That's what you buy the car for, and that's what you want the car for. And it does that. It makes you feel like a rock star. And I well, think I that mean, really does they that. are they are huge. It's conspicuous consumption at its most public, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, driving up to anywhere in a supercar is the equivalent of opening a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills and just throwing them into the wind. It, 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 <laughs> no, it is though. It's that's that's how a lot of these vehicles are perceived uh, by by the general public, even people who. One thing I found impressive about the Rolls Royce was even people who aren't interested in cars and and don't care about them at all understand that that vehicle is something special and it's very expensive and and Rolls Royce has managed to do that uh, they've managed to communicate that about their brand through the styling of their vehicle alone and Lamborghini is a company that is extremely adept at doing that I mean you don't have to know anything about cars to know that that the Ventador is absurdly expensive yeah. and as a result it, it it attracts attention. And, you know, you're right. And it also sounds well. I mean, sounds really good. And people just go, wow. Um, well, it sounds, it sounds loud and it attracts attention as well. It's an ostentatious, extroverted vehicle. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. My colleague Jody, she had a, a Huracan Spider, a rear-wheel drive Huracan Spider about for three days before I went to Pebble Beach. And she said, this is not a car for me because the amount of attention you get is just is bonkers. And I don't she's like, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be asked all these inane questions about the car. I just want to drive it and have fun. And it's a you, taste, can't, it, you can't get that. It's a taste of celebrity. I mean, yeah. driving one of these cars, you are opening yourself up to conversations every time you stop the vehicle, get gas, get groceries, whatever. People will approach you. And it's it's kind of like uh, I don't want to say civic duty, but I think people who actually own these cars, a lot of the time, uh, they have to accept that that comes with the territory. If you wanted to fiercely protect your privacy as a, as a wealthy person, you would conceal your wealth. 
right? <laughs> and if you're yeah. driving, if you're driving an Aventador, you might as well just be, you know, like I said earlier, throwing money out the window, uh, or popping bottles of Cristal or whatever cliched um, representation of ex- excess you want to embrace. Um, I definitely did let. Uh, we, I, when I parked to do a stand-up and get some photos of the car, um, uh, a gentleman and, and three children, uh, about 12 years old, I suppose, 12 or 13, piled out of this car and started snapping photos of it with their phones. Um, and I just had to offer them the the chance to get closer to it, to get photos in it or something like that. And uh, they were really enthusiastic about that. Um I never had that growing up. I don't know if you've ever had anything like that growing up. If somebody like puts you in a half million dollar car and said, "There you go, your dream, you know, your dream car, your your one." No, step I grew up in a it. town of I grew up in a town of few thousand people, so that didn't yeah. happen. Uh, so I imagine you know that that I was trying to do my part for spreading the automotive enthusiasm enthusiasm to another generation. That's my that's my karma. I hope my car karma. Um, that's what I had on the on the plate what did you you i think you drove something you drove something equally as fast that's for sure well i don't know if it's equally as fast but it is very (laughs) fast um i had the chance to drive the new 2018 jeep grand cherokee trackhawk which for those of you who aren't keeping up with the world of jeep is the hellcat version of the jeep it's almost immediately when the hellcat the original hellcat was released Mm -hmm. The Challenger version, people were like, why don't you put it in a Jeep? Like every single person, every single person who heard about the Challenger, <laughs> their second question after how much does it cost is, why isn't this engine in a Jeep? And the reason for that is because um, Chrysler made an SRT version of the Grand Cherokee for, for forever. It's been in two generations now. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, the most popular version of that vehicle until the Hellcat came along. It was, uh, yeah, it was extremely popular because if you think of about it. Of the Jeep? Yeah, the Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT was the most popular SRT, I believe. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you meant it's the most popular Grand Cherokee. Okay. No. I understand. Um, I understand. Sorry, listeners. Because I'm an idiot now. It's the easiest vehicle to justify in the SRT family because it has four doors, it has four-wheel drive, mm-hmm. and it has a hatch. So it, it has the illusions of being practical. And it is practical. Um, except the first generation truck was a little less practical because you couldn't tow anything. It had a center exit exhaust, yeah. and therefore there was nowhere to attach a hitch. The second generation truck avoided that problem, and it's more powerful. You know, But now we live in a world where there's not one but two high-performance <laughs> versions of the Chief Grand Cherokee, and the newest one has 707 horsepower and 645 pound-feet of torque. That's, bo- that's mind-boggling. That's insane. And- and it does 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds, something which I verified several times using the launch control system that uh, that is offered with that vehicle. It is extremely quick, and it is repeated, repeatedly quick. I mean, you you hit the button, you do the launch control dance, and bam. So it's uh, not like res- the Demon, in which case you have to get like these these parameters right, and you have to get the launch right. It's not like no, this because game you have to play with yourself. Because this it is, has four... This is right. it, it has four wheel drive. And, you know, up until the Hellcat came out, the SRT Grand Cherokee was the fastest SRT because the all wheel drive system made it so easy to put that power down. And and the, it remains true now with the with the Hellcat version. It's it's incredibly easy to drive too. It's you know, you're just tooling around. We we drove from Portland, Maine, about two and a half hours north on secondary roads to get to Tamworth, New Hampshire, which is where there's a track called Club Motorsports, but just 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 opened. I mean it was paved a few weeks before we got there. It's carved out of a mountain. There's bears that live there. We were warned about the bears. There's a, there's a baby bear that likes to lean over the course and watch you drive by. And when you're taking pictures, you have to watch out for the bears. And there's bear this and bear that. And bears, Did they give bears. you any bear spray? What, do you, what am I going to do with bear spray? I think that just irritates them and makes them more willing to kill you. I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's anything about bear spray that... That you know, I don't think it does what it says in the it's tin. Like, it's like raid for for bears, I believe. You just yeah, it's like raid. It's like raid for bears if wasps are the size of your face. Like it's, actually, <laughs> actually, it's not at all like that. It's like it's like um, pepper spray, but to the nth degree. Like it's super super debilitating. Apparently, if you let it off anywhere near a human, it's like the worst experience ever. Well, they didn't give before us before getting maybe, mauled by a bear. Maybe that's why. <laughs> um, but. But, 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 uh, we did give us track hawks and, uh, we took the track hawks out onto the track as is, you know, it's in the name. So you kind of have to do it. And I will How say many this, hawks uh, were, there? were there many hawks? There were, there were no hawks, just bears. 
That's... They should have called it Track Bear. <laughs> I don't think... I think Track Bear is probably copyrighted. Someone somewhere owns Track Bear. Okay, um, all right. I mean, don't look Track Bear up in Google. I mean, we're not <laughs> responsible for what you find <laughs> at trackbear.org forward slash you. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, you made me lose my train of thought thinking about all this bear talk. You said you took it to the track. Yeah, there so were no I, hawks. I, I just want to go back. I just want to go back to that launch control system uh, right. for a second. They use this thing called Torque Reserve with the Grand Cherokee, and this is similar to what they have on the Demon, where they're able to build boost from the supercharger even when the vehicle's not moving. Uh, it, it it shuts down cylinders and creates it, it feeds air into the manifold. And it allows you to build, I think it's just over six pounds of boost, which is a little over half what you get at full boost from the supercharger. So that explains the amazing acceleration for a vehicle that weighs just under 5,500 pounds. I mean, you're going 60 in three and a half seconds is super quick. That's like, I don't even know, comparable cars. I mean, you know, there are Porsche 911s that do that. There are, there. Are, I mean, I think the Viper does that. Uh, but here you're doing it in a car that weighs like almost double what those vehicles weigh right or at least one and a half times what those vehicles weigh so that's amazing and it's interesting that um dodge has been able to take that demon technology and scoot it into the the srt uh version of the of the of the grand cherokee which they are claiming is the quickest suv in the world so if you own a cayenne turbo s um you've been served that's first of all it actually it's a couple of things first of all what did you call it you call it torque reserve yeah torque reserve is that a is that FCA's marketing term for it, or is that an actual like? It's it's their marketing term for it. Okay, cool, lovely. It's not in all caps. It doesn't have like, a, and it doesn't have like a, an emoji. No, it's not. It's it. not. It's not Torque Distronic Reserve. <laughs> Pro um, plus. And the it's other not interesting TR, which would be the the Honda Acuron Acuron generator for it. Acura generator. What is a- acronym. They have oh. acronyms for everything. So uh, the other interesting thing about uh, launch control is you can't use it for the first 500 miles you're driving the vehicle. What? That's not fair. That's like, that's not fair, Ben. So, so you know how engines have a break-in period and clutches yeah. have a break-in period. So, but electronics don't. You should be able to use launch control. Well, electronics aren't the issue. It's the fact the engine is still broken in on, on a dyno, mm-hmm. um, like all Hellcat engines are. Okay. But you can't really do that with a drivetrain. So the problem with a very heavy vehicle that's has a, a lot of torque is when you feed all of that torque to the drivetrain all at once physics happens and when physics when physics happens on a sticky surface you break stuff and they've made they've made the rear differential it has new mounts it has four mounts instead of three um it has a a larger pinion i believe it has larger half shafts there's boring tell me what the point of it all is all the point of that is is so that it doesn't snap in half like Superman breaking your arm when he sneezes holding your hand. It, but apparently it's, it's still not strong enough to withstand the first 500 miles of the car? No, it needs a break-in. I mean, <laughs> every cl- both of my cars have different have non-factory clutches, let's say. Okay. And it was the same thing with those. I, I had 500 miles before I could go above a certain RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just the idea. Breaking stuff in isn't just running it you have to run it in a variety of circumstances like you wouldn't want to just put it on a car treadmill like in ferris bueller and just like leave the the engine going for like 500 miles you want varying temperatures and speeds i was gonna do that with my with my track hawk (laughs) you see you you want varying temperatures and speeds to make sure that you cover a wide range of driving situations and you don't you know you know, just burn in one section of the train, <laughs> which you can do with a clutch. You give you if you just any, anyway. It's kind of getting off topic. Sure, right? sure. Tell me, so is this thing you worth all... all of this this hubbub, all of this hype? I mean, like I said, you like you said. Sorry, when people heard about the Hellcat, they said, "When is it going to be in a Jeep?" And now it is. Are people going to be satisfied? Is it, it is, is it satisfactory? Well, I can tell you that it doesn't come with a black key. It only comes oh. with two red keys. So that's the first of the Hellcat family to not feature a 500 horsepower low power mode, and I think a lot of that is is associated with just how easy it is to drive the vehicle in normal circumstances. It feels almost identical to a regular SRT Jeep when you're just driving on the road. It it, it it's a stiffer, that's for sure, mm-hmm. but not uncomfortably so. And even when you're in track mode out on the, out on the road, which which puts more power to the rear and turns off stability, uh, not stability control, but traction control, um, it's it's a very compliant vehicle. On the track, for an SUV, it drives great. 
It has a lot of power. It's easy to control. It's 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 kind of like training wheels for the Hellcat family. I think this is the I, I, in one of the reviews I wrote. I, I referred to it as the entry, not the entry level, but the I guess the the beginner's Hellcat. If you wanted to have a vehicle that was very very placid, and it's I think it's interesting too if you look at the development of Hellcats. The first when the Challenger came out, it was pretty twitchy, and mm-hmm. it's not a vehicle I enjoy driving on the track. But then the Charger Hellcat came out with a longer wheelbase and different aero, and it was pretty friendly. And then they came out with the wide-body Challenger, which is erases all the problems they had with the original Challenger Hellcat. And now you have the SRT, sorry, not the SRT, but the Trackhawk. Mm-hmm. And that's the by far the friendliest um, member of the Hellcat family. So it's, it's almost like FCA has realized that people want the bragging rights that go with 707 horsepower and 180 mile per hour top speed. But they don't want to die <laughs> to have those bragging rights. So they've created a very safe, very quick vehicle that no one will take on the track, but they could if they wanted to. That is unbelievable. And also, something you said really surprised me. Um, the weight of the vehicle, it's under 5,000 pounds. No, as it's under 5,500 pounds. Oh, 5,500 5, pounds. Okay, it's perfect. a very heavy, it it's is a very very heavy. heavy vehicle. The physics involved in making a 5,500-pound 5, 5, car do 60 in that that speed yeah i mean that quick that's unbelievable and all you do is hammer the throttle like you don't need any special skills to make that happen is there anything else you have to account for this does the car really think about defying physics at all opportunity when you took it to the track and you took and you took it for your first corner what happened i mean there's more body roll than you would have in a car but it it it, like i said it feels extremely did it what It, it hung on it didn't just like push like immediately it didn't just start no, not at all. It's extremely easy to drive on a track. It, 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 but I mean, it's it's still a truck, and yeah. trucks it's going to drive like a truck. It's tall. The center of gravity is in the wrong place. Uh, all of these things work against it. But um, and it's interesting to note that none of the vehicles we drove on the track had sunroofs. Uh, but it's it, it, I mean, I've driven I've driven its predecessor on the track. I mean, the regular SRT. I've driven the X6M. Um, they're all very very competent. They're all joyless i think is the word i would use okay. to drive on a track because they're competent but there's no passion involved it's it's very fast and it's interesting exercise and you can get a lot out of them but if you were in a car you'd be having more fun mm-hmm. i think for me the track hawk is really about shenanigans on the street or having something that has crazy power great bragging rights and a good tow rating i think it's just over eight thousand pounds cool uh, it's it's not I I seriously doubt one that any owner would want to take it on a racetrack. Uh, if you want to go into straight line at a drag strip, I think that would be great. I believe it's a mid 11 second vehicle, which is extremely fast, especially for its weight. Um, or if you wanted to, um, I, 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 I even if you wanted to go on a track, I think you'd have trouble finding a club that would let you run with them because SUVs are not typically allowed for liability reasons. Okay, do you have any criticisms on this vehicle? Anything that you just wish? They did it better because I. It sounds it sounds almost too positive. Also, we always seem to whenever we drive a in FCA, especially in SRT, and SRT makes really great cars. I almost feel like it turns into like a love fest. So I want to hear something like, like, what did they? What did it not do? Like it, it clearly didn't go back in time, right? It has absurd fuel economy. The uh, the okay. the sense. factory rating is 11 miles per gallon city. Okay. And 17 miles per gallon highway, and we got it down to 10 something. Uh, well, that's really terrible. That's and that's premium, premium, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, personally, my personal record for most fuel used by a vehicle is already held by the SRT Grand Cherokee, <laughs> um, and that's that's the regular non-supercharged, non-Hellcat version. So I can only assume that the Trackhawk will assume that mantle very quickly. But uh, it's hard to criticize a vehicle like this because it's a super niche. Um, no one's casually, like we've said it before, no one's casually buying a Hellcat of any variety. It's something that people really want to buy. And those people who are buying it go in with their eyes open. I think they're selling to a lot of existing SRT owners who want to complete the collection and have the whole set. The other thing, I would love though, to, I would love to be in the showroom when somebody walks in and casually buys a hell. Excuse me, sir. What's this vehicle here? Why it's the uh, it's the Hellcat? What is this? The angry feline. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Tell that me seems more. like a fine automobile for Can me. Can we go like... for a test drive? No. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> that I like the cut of your jib. I'll buy it. <laughs> 
But uh, the other the other thing about the trackhawk is it's really expensive. Okay. It is eighty five thousand dollars in the U S. Yeah. And the I drove a version that had the panoramic sunroof, enhanced interior leather, and I believe an enhanced audio system, a louder stereo, and it was over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. And that's for a Jeep. Well, that's insane. In Canada, a lot of people complain about the price of Hellcats because they're at that level, um, which is not which is far from what they're available in in the U.S. for, which I think is closer to sixty or seventy thousand. And I think in the U, in Canada, it's almost closer to eighty. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting too, I thought about when I saw that window sticker is remember a few years ago when Jeep was going to build that Grand Wagoneer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then they decided not to because they they thought it would be too expensive and they didn't know if anyone would buy a a Jeep that approached six figures. Well, now they have the now Jeep have that one. approaches six figures. It's there. So it's it's almost like a trial balloon that they're floating out to see, you know, hmm, what's going to be the average transaction price on the on the Trackhawk and does that make a case for other buyers being interested in a very expensive three-row SUV? It's fascinating to me because I'm not sure if it's the same buyer, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's it, they may very well be able to develop a case for pushing even farther into the luxury segment. Did it? I have two questions. Is it limited production? No. And does it sound crazy? Because the the Hellcat, the one of the main lasting uh, impressions from the Hellcat that I've driven was that it sounded. It just sounded insane. It sounded there were just constant supercharger noises. There's tire noise, just it's in V8 noises, and you're like, this is the most incredible experience ever. And it's just like boom, bram, boom, wee, and you're just like, I don't know what's happening, but I love it. And uh, I want to know if the if the Trackhawk is is more refined, or is it just as bonkers? I I don't think it sounds that crazy. Um, they did some things to lower the supercharger noise. Actually, okay. They, they introduced a valve that um, that creates uh, basically a counter sound wave to cancel out the supercharger noise. So it is it is more refined in that sense. All of that awesome I, noise that I thought was incredible, they countered it with a single valve. Yeah, they were like, I guess you it know wasn't what? That, I guess it wasn't to, that good. One valve. Time to X Sammy out of the picture. I thought they would need all sorts of like clever, like sound canceling speakers and all sorts of other things to just, you know, high tech stuff. It turns out there was just a, a single valve to shut it. It up. turns it turns out that science is science, and the, <laughs> you know, what can what more can you say? I uh, I'm really happy to hear your impressions of this vehicle. It is it is super cool. And as usual, we always we always say this about um, Jeep. Uh, I mean, sorry, SCA's performance vehicles. We always say it's amazing that they're they're pushing the envelope in this way with older cars and older technology. But here they are doing it again, and they're impressing enthusiasts like you and I. Well, okay. Um, before we go on, you, we got to talk about some news. I think I think we have one news item we can cover. Yeah. You know what I find really, really boring? I mean, no. You know what I find really exciting? This is what I look for in a car. I go to the car dealership or whatever, and I ask, excuse me, sir, which one of your cars has the most amount of numbers on it? And then I'll buy that car <laughs> in, in, in relation to how much I can afford, of course. Is that why you own three <laughs> Chrysler 300s? Exactly. Because they didn't have a 301 or a 350 at the time. And they still don't, which is a shame. Actually, this is a bizarre way to to name vehicles. I always find the number, the numerical naming, and and um, yeah, the alphanumeric naming to be really bizarre. But uh, Audi is bringing it back in an, in an interesting way. They're actually going to add additional numbers. So you you know, Audi already has the A4, the A3. They already have a, a very derivative lining uh, naming scheme where they just have a letter and a number. Um, they're now adding some additional numbers to the vehicle that denote how much power it makes, but not in the usual way. Usually, you'd I th- you and I would think power and horsepower numbers, right? Do go on. This doesn't use that. I believe this uses kilowatts. Well, yeah, I think what they're doing is because uh, the secondary identifier in any Audi's name is its engine size. Right. So you have the A4 2.0 or the A4 whatever. Um, 3.0 for for some cars, and it's like BMW kind of kind of left left that behind with the uh, the 340, mm-hmm. 
uh, where it no longer the 40 doesn't really represent the size of the engine. It doesn't represent anything really. It's it's become totally detached from that. And I think Audi kind of felt left out by by BMW's <laughs> as, freedom. You, as Audi usually does. Their free-spirited approach to naming vehicles, and so now they're like Sammy said, it's it's going to be it's going to be a number that represents not the actual horsepower nor the actual output of the engine in kilowatts, but the range of power it might be producing in kilowatts. What That's does that the, mean? <laughs> so it means that you could buy. Let's just to pick a number that I saw in the press release. You could buy like an A655 quattro or something right and you would have 55 on the back and the 55 doesn't mean 55 kilowatts it means it falls within a specific range of kilowatt output that you would have to use like a lexicon to compare and figure out so the cars these additional numbers that do not translate to comparing it to other cars like on the market like i know no. if you were to look at 3.0 t i can say that's 3.0 t right and yeah. I can go to another vehicle and I can see, you know, a BMW um, 530, for example, used to say uh, 3.0. Uh, that would be another 3-liter engine. Or a C300, which would be another 3-liter uh, engine. But but BMW and Mercedes gave up on that several years they ago. They have so given I think, up. You're right. They have given up. And, and also, it's not really useful to compare engine sizes anymore, especially in a world of turbocharging, where really what determines the power is the computer chip that's determining how much boost uh the vehicles making at any given time so you can have the same engine with different tunes in in different vehicles so i i understand the the spirit of what audi's doing but i don't think owners care and i think that this is you know if you're going to change the name the, the naming scheme of your cars you don't have to link it to some strange kilowatt output range thing like just change it and stand behind it and be like you know what it's called the 55 now and that's what it's <laughs> called and we'll take your money thank you very much like just <laughs> Just own it. Don't don't make me break my brain trying to figure out what that actually means. If it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't mean anything. That I I always and I always feel bad because we're always picking on Audi and Volkswagen um, on these pre, on these weird press releases. Um, but this one's weird. This is just so strange. I can't get over that. Um, it's the new world we live in. It seems like counterintuitive it seems like adding more numbers and more letters are just going to make are just going to confuse people further um, well, it feels it feels like a pure marketing decision you know which is fine you got to sell cars you got to stay competitive but we've seen so many car companies stumble when it comes to naming uh cadillac mm -hmm. which is has a, currently has a very confusing range of some things are called ct some things are called xt some things are called ats some things are called escalade uh you look at infinity which which wiped out everything to start over with Q and QX, mm -hmm. and no one really knows what that means. You have to wonder how much of this is being driven by markets where English is not um, the primary language being spoken. I mean, right. Audi is obviously a German company, but they do use the the same alphabet that we do. When you go to China and you're trying to sell cars, does 3.0 T mean something compared to 55? Who knows? I mean, they I would assume they've done the research. And they probably have targeted specific markets they think will respond well to this type of marketing. So it's out of our hands. It might seem weird to us, but ultimately, if it moves metal for Audi, that's what's important to them. That you know, you you brought up a couple of things here. First of all, uh, Audi and their naming convention has has changed actually a couple of times. I don't know if you ever heard about this recently, or if anyone's ever told you. Um, they have performance vehicles. You know, performance vehicles. The performance vehicles are considered R or RS models. You know that, right? Yeah, well, S, S or RS. And that was part of their Quattro brand, which is really – or Quattro was also their sport brand and also the name of their all-wheel drive system. Did you know that? Did you understand that ever? Yeah, well, what, a long, long time ago. But now because people have – first of all, that's bizarre. That, that Quattro is the all-wheel drive system that's used in all Audis, and Quattro is also the reason behind the RS and the, RS, the R8. They've now decided to get rid of that Quattro brand, and now they've called it Audi Sport. And that's another weird, like, it, that one makes more sense than whatever Audi's doing now. And, uh, and, I, and again, I just think Audi's doing all sorts of strange things in order, to, in order to capitalize on a few extra people that have not yet considered their vehicles, I suppose. Well, there's, there's no rules, right? There's no rules when it comes to this. Uh, companies can do whatever they want to do and spend however many millions of dollars they want to to try and make things stick. And uh, that's pretty much the, the beginning and the end of it. 
And then you mentioned the Chinese uh, market. Now, one of the things that I've always found really interesting about the Chinese market, and this is the last thing I'm going to say before I before I, I we sign off, I think. Uh, one of the more popular brands in China is Buick. And Buick has no alphanumeric um, car names. So what you're trying to say is that maybe it's not marketing that's... Uh moving these cars yeah it might be styling it might be or product uh, yeah or product might, itself it might be product i mean they've been some pretty good buicks recently so um it's so it's a bizarre way to look at it's a bizarre and i didn't mean to contradict you or make you make you feel like maybe you had the wrong i think you're right i think there's a lot of a, a lot i don't of, i don't think you contradicted me at all <laughs> okay I, I i don't i think you're right i think there's a lot of the decisions naming in when it comes to naming a vehicle and they're now taking so many things into consideration that we just can't – I just can't fathom it. I can't make sense of it until until the very end of it. I mean I would be ultra shocked if Audi was taking marketing lessons from Buick. <laughs> you That's know what I true. mean? I don't, think, I don't think anyone in the Audi boardroom is like, how can we be more like Buick? I don't think anyone <laughs> is doing that. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. I think we're going to have another one at the, end of the, at the end of the week to talk about some more supercars. Um – I think I mentioned the on the last podcast that I had a um, I have a comparison between the Honda Civic SI and the Elantra Sport, which are two really fun compact cars, and I can give you the lowdown on that. And I will be talking about the Audi R8 Spider, the V10 version, mm-hmm. as well as the Volvo V90 wagon, which is currently sitting in front of my house. Is it the V90 cross country or the V9 just the regular? It's the, the V90 V9. regular one. I'm not interested in the cross country. Ooh, okay. So thank you for listening. Um, for the folks out there who want to subscribe, I suggest you do that by going to www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That'll take you to our SoundCloud page where you can uh, see all of our previous episodes and you, sub- you, can, get, you can subscribe to uh, upcoming uh, – to get notifi- notifications for upcoming episodes. But um, an easier way to subscribe would probably be through iTunes or Google Play Music, which you're all most likely using anyway. Uh, I also stutter can... way less when, when plugging those two. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, find us using the Unnamed Automotive Podcast search on either of those services. And if you want to hook us up on uh, Twitter with some hot tips about upcoming naming schemes from car companies that are about to just change everything for no reason, you can do that. You can find us at, at Hunting Benjamin for me and at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. And um, one last thing, if you are going to subscribe to us on iTunes, if you if you give us a rating, that really goes a long way. Some feedback is always nice, too, if you just want to say uh, Sammy talks too much and cuts off Ben too many times, and or Ben calls out Sammy's loud, broken microphone sometimes. You can – we'll pay attention. <laughs> we'll make some adjustments to the podcast, definitely. Uh, and uh, one last, last, last thing. Uh, we are going to be sponsoring a Micro Cup car. This is exciting. And I'm very excited. This is exciting. So Micro Cup is a racing series that occurs in Canada with the Nissan Micra. It is a uh, a spec series, and the next iteration of that series, the next race, is on the weekend of the 1st, September 1st, and we are going to be sponsoring Keishi Ayuka's car uh, at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. So look for his car with our stickers on it, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. He has already taken a podium position in uh, previous races in Micro Cup. We're hoping he can do it again next weekend, and we're pretty damn excited to be associated with him, and we are wishing him the best of luck, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the next podcast, too. Thank you for listening, and uh, I can't wait to, to have another podcast later this week. Sounds good? Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.